Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Wednesday, March 6, 2019. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me, and the big news since we last recorded is that Kansas' streak of Big 12 regular season titles is over. Oklahoma beat the Jayhawks 81-68 Tuesday night, just beat their brains in, really. So KU now has six league losses. As you probably know, Texas Tech and Kansas State can't possibly finish with more than five, so the streak is over. The streak is over. Norlander, let's dive right in. Your thoughts on the end of one of the more remarkable streaks in college sports history. I didn't think it ended like this. Hey, you know what? I, I'm cool with it ending um, because we're not going to see this happen at the major conference level again for the rest of our lifetimes. You, you can make an argument we won't see it, period, in men's division one basketball because Gonzaga is the closest thing right now. It's at seven, so it's halfway there, including this season. Um, it, there's no telling if Gonzaga is even in the WCC seven years from now. So that alone, in addition to how hard it is to do, Kansas, you know, it set a record in doing this period. Um, I, I don't anticipate that any conference team will do it at all uh, as long as you and I are walking the terra firma here. Uh, the Bulldogs have a shot, but things still have to break just the right way. For, for Kansas to lose how it did, I mean, it's been, a, it's been largely abysmal away from its home state this season. Uh, Oklahoma... Locks up a bit in my estimation with that win, so good on the Sooners for being able to do that. But uh, but I think this is more – you can have the conversation two ways, GP. You can say how great it was, and it was, and we can highlight how ridiculous it's been over the years. Uh, but you can also – and I think this is what should be pointed out. I pointed it out on CBS Sports HQ on the, uh, on the Tuesday night show – for Kansas to even be in the position where it's in to be in third with all of its roster issues and all, frankly, all of the stuff that it's dealt with is also fairly remarkable uh, because I think a lot of coaches with the same kind of personnel, the same situation, it would be understandable, if not reasonable, to say, you know what, you finished sixth, seventh, even eighth. But overall, you know, I know Kansas is a blue blood. I know that they have talented recruits on their roster and all that stuff. But still, um, there's just no guaranteeing that you're even in a position to be on the four line or a five line, given all that they've encountered. So kudos to self for doing that. And it was just a matter of time. And so now going forward in the seasons ahead, I will uh, give more credence to other teams potentially finishing on top of the Big 12 standings. But if you told me that starting next year, Kansas rolled off, you know, even a streak of just five or six straight seasons, I'd still believe it because of the prestige of the program, the league that it's in. And as long as Bill Self is there, I think they've got a shot. Yeah, I made some of those uh points i guess similarly last night uh in studio cbs sports network uh one of the points i made is that it's a rough night for um our overreaction or reality bit because there's this bit we do um with one of our producers amy salmonson where you know she comes up with three statements and it's basically like yeah that's that's true or ah, come on get out of here right it's an overreaction or it's reality and it feels like every other week it's like, so this is the year Kansas's Big 12 streak is going to end and be like, that's an overreaction. They lost a game, but it's no big deal. They're still only one game back with eight to play. They'll be fine. feels like we've been doing that for years, like every Tuesday night. And so now um, that will have to be removed from the list of possible questions or statements for overreaction reality because the, the streak ended. Um, you're exactly right about um, – you know, the, the things that Kansas has had to deal with this season and the idea that they still technically, even if it was slim, technically had a chance to to extend the streak to 15 years in the final week of the regular season, given that they lost two starters and three rotation players. 
um, is 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 pretty remarkable, and I think a uh, impressive coaching job from Bill Self. Now, the counter argument to all this would be, um, don't give me that feel sorry for Kansas stuff. Yeah, uh, if you want to say that Yudoka Azubuki's injury is unfortunate, I'll listen to that. But they didn't have Silvio D'Souza because um, a person the NCAA and Kansas has labeled as a quote uh, booster, you know, paid his guardian. Um, to get him to enroll at Kansas, all right? So, like, get out of my face. I, oh, I'm sorry they didn't get Silvio D'Souza. Well, well, you know, somebody cheated for them to even have him in the first place. And then, um, yeah, forget, get out of my face with this. Well, LaGerald Vick, you know, had issues. LaGerald Vick has always had issues. He's a knucklehead. So, if you know, it's why Bill Self didn't even really want him back before this season started. So, maybe you should have expected to have issues with LaGerald, Vack, LaGerald Vick. Maybe you should have never... I thought you were going to have Silvio D'Souza back. And so whatever issues Kansas um, had to deal with this season outside of Doak's injury, um, th- those are those are those are issues that that Kansas brought up, up upon itself. And perhaps that's true. Um, but still, uh, you know, there was a point in the season where even if I didn't think it was true, uh, Bill Self did think he was going to have Silvio D'Souza available to him. Um, Kansas was ranked number one in the country when they had Yudoka Azubuki as a starting center. And LeGerald Vick was their best player, or at least one of their best players, uh, for an extended period of time in the season. So um, regardless of how it happened, they did end up trying to close this thing with a roster that looked nothing like the roster they thought they were going to have. And they're they're still, you know, a top 20 team headed to the NCAA tournament, you know, in spite of all of this stuff. It's, um, you know, to be able to hold it together, I do think is, is, is somewhat impressive, if not completely impressive. Yeah, another streak that's ending, which is nearly as impressive, but although they kind of go hand in hand, is that Kansas has been a number one or a number two seed, 10 straight NCAA tournaments. That's absurd. Kansas also has the longest active uh, NCAA tournament appearance streak when the Jayhawks make it this season. It will be 30 in a row. That outpaces Duke at – Duke is at – hold on, I got the stats right here because it's in Wednesday's court report um, – so, yeah, Kansas is at 30. Duke will be at 24. Michigan State at 22. Gonzaga at 21. And then the next two closest are North Carolina and Cincinnati. But uh, so Kansas, you know, in the big picture, it has been, you can, you can easily argue, just by pure conference dominance and then just, you know, the reliability, regardless of coach, of getting to the tournament every single season here for three decades has been awesome. But the one and two line for 10 years, and then they've been a three or better um, for 13 straight years. I think for Kansas to get on the three, it probably needs to win the Big 12 tournament. I just think it's taken on too much at this point to uh, to expect anything more. So it'll be, uh, it'll be a bit different to look at the bracket this season and where even if you've picked Kansas to get bounced early, um, I think writing them into the Sweet 16 has been a near automatic for the majority for most of the past 10 to 12 years that will not be the case so uh, a different a little different bit of this uh of a flavor for this year's bracket in regard to the Jayhawks the string of NCAA tournament appearances um despite coaching changes is incredible but this is also incredible we've talked about this before but not recently Kansas has had three different coaches since 1983 all of them Naismith Memorial Hall of Famers like that's crazy it goes from Larry Brown to Roy Williams to Bill Self. I mean, like, the idea that you could have three straight coaches for more than, you know, three decades, nearly four decades, and they're all nothing but Naismith Memorial Hall of Famers. Like, where else does that happen? I mean, even like even like North Carolina will make a questionable hire every once in a while, 
Kentucky obviously did with Billy Gillespie, and yet Kansas has be, almost my entire life had nothing but Naismith Memorial Hall of Fame basketball coaches. <laughs> yeah, that, that's all I know Kansas has, and as many people <laughs> listening to this podcast, just in general, like it, they're just really, really good every single year. Like even Duke had the down year where it missed the tournament in the mid '90s. Even Duke had years where it kind of slipped and faded from the pack. When you know the year '06, I think it was um, when it uh, got bounced by VCU, I believe, in the tournament there. But it just, and I know Kansas has had letdowns in the tournament. Actually, Kansas fans, their, uh, you know, their um, their first world gripe is for as good of a program as we are, we don't have enough national championships to validate. Like we should, we should have more. Which is a common lament you see amongst college football fans that root for, say, a Notre Dame or a Michigan. Basically, at this point, any program that's not Alabama. Or, or Clemson or Ohio State, um, if you're amongst that you know, top 10, you know, Texas status, maybe even USC, we should have more national championships across the past uh, you know, three decades than we really have. That's the Kansas gripe, which is, I guess on a certain level is understandable, but it just goes back to what we've often re- referred to and what is a boilerplate uh, topic and a cliched, cliche talking point, but it is hard to win the national championship. And um, you know, Kansas fans wouldn't trade, I think, their standing in the sport with anyone else because you know you're getting there every single year and you're winning your league uh, almost every single season. And my last thing on this is um, my, my prediction is that, uh, fittingly, or maybe ironically, Kansas is going to win the Big 12 tournament, Parish. So they're not going to win the regular season for the first time since 04. And then they're, they're going to follow that up by, like, being awesome in the Big 12 tournament. Just watch them get that uh, – watch them somehow land on the three line as they, like, look better than they have all season once they get to the neutral floor. That is an overreaction. Kansas is not going to win the Big 12 <laughs> tournament. That's right. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Hold on. This is going to turn into the next Wofford audio, isn't it? <laughs> oh, it's 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 definitely got the the propensity to do so. We'll wait and see. I will say that um, it is a, a, a first world problem, but if I told you you're going to make 29 consecutive, is that what it is now? 29 It's going to be 30 in a matter of right. less than two weeks, yeah. Okay, so if I told you you're going to make 30, you're going to be a Blue Blood program, you're going to make 30 consecutive NCAA tournaments in those um, – you're you're going to have nothing but Hall of Fame coaches for more than three decades, and you're just going to have one national championship in the past thirty years. That is kind of like, really, just one. Yeah, I mean that. Yeah, I mean that. It's crazy to be as consistently awesome as they are. Not, I don't know if it's crazy or not. It does, but like I totally get why we operate at the highest level of the sport for basically nonstop three straight decades, and we have one national championship since 1988. That does seem a little. I don't want to say it's an underachievement, but I would assume you'd have more than that. You just stumble into another one somewhere, you know. Connecticut does it all the time. I know, I know. Uh, <laughs> they've got they've got four in not a little more than half the time, which is just wild to think about. Right. Um, I do want to uh, spend just a couple of minutes on Kansas State and Texas Tech because uh, they are either going to share the Big 12 title or one of them is going to win it outright. And if you're looking for which one is more likely to win it outright at this point, and it, it, it doesn't speak to the quality of the team. I'm not trying to tell you one's better than the other, um, but it just comes down to how they've got to close this season. Um, you know, Kansas State is hosting Oklahoma, and Oklahoma obviously looked great against Kansas, but um, I believe – I looked this up the other day. Let me make sure it's still true. Uh, Oklahoma's 35th at Ken Palm, and – Kansas State has not lost a home game to a sub-30 Ken Palm team this season. 
Um, now, there's not much difference between number 26 Texas and number 35 Oklahoma. I got you. But if you do draw a line at, at, at where Kansas State has lost in the octagon of doom this season, they haven't lost to a sub-30 Ken Palm team. So um, unless they do something that they haven't done all season, which is lose to a sub-30 team, um, they are going to finish 14-4 and four, uh, in the Big 12. Meantime, um, Texas Tech has to go to Iowa State. And they are projected by Kim Palm to win that game 69-68, but it's obviously a little more of a coin flip situation than the Kansas State-Oklahoma deal. So um, Kansas State's more likely to win its last game than Texas is, even if both are likely to win. So perhaps the uh, the, 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 the most likely outcome is going to be co-champions. But if you're trying to see who's more likely than the other to, to win it outright, it's probably Kansas State instead of Texas Tech, even if Texas Tech, according to all the computers, is the better basketball team. Either way, and, and I, I just wanted to point this out because I, I think it's fair, because I, I do believe that while talking about the Big 12 race, um, people, myself included, have focused so much on what Kansas lost as a way to explain what's happening in the Big 12. And obviously, like Kansas State hasn't been injury-free either. You know, they've lost Dean Wade for a bit, um, they're without another rotation player right now. And Texas Tech, I can't stress this enough, they lost five of their top six scores from last season's team. And it ain't like they enrolled Duke's recruiting class. They lost five of their top six scores. The only one back was Jared Culver. They were picked seventh in the preseason Big 12 poll. And now they've got a chance to win an outright Big 12 title. And they got to, if, if not that, at least share it. I mean, they, it's in their hands. They, as long as they win, they're going to at least share it. They got the top-rated defensive efficiency number in the country. You, you can't overstate what Chris Beard is doing in, in Lubbock. Dan Walken, uh, my friend who is a columnist for USA Today, tweeted, I think earlier this week, or maybe it was within the past few weeks, he tweeted that Chris Beard has already established himself as one of the top five coaches in college basketball. And I don't know where, whether that's true or not because you get to five pretty quickly when you start you know, listing guys. But I can't argue with it. What he has done in his Division One head coaching career so far is really unbelievable because he had the one year at Little Rock. And you go look at every year before him and every year after him at Little Rock, they were awful, then he was good, then he left, and they got awful again. Then he takes over a pretty good situation at Texas Tech, makes it better. And um, then last year, you know, marches to the Elite Eight, plays Villanova as tough as anybody else in the NCAA tournament. And right now he's got a, you know, a team that's eighth at Ken Palm, 25-5, and five and on the verge of, of raising a banner uh, down there in Lubbock, Texas. He's uh, – that Texas Tech story I don't think is getting enough attention either. Uh, um. Maybe not quite enough, but I think it. I think they've gotten some some good love, and rightfully so. And I do think Texas Tech is the best team in the Big Twelve, and it's been ranked number one in defensive efficiency more games than not this season. It did have a little bit of a dip, but it's recovered nicely. Um, what's going to be a so few quickies here? What's interesting is that the Big Twelve rates as a top two league, and it will not have a shot at a one seed, even if Texas Tech or Kansas State won out, whichever those two won out. Um, neither of them are going to land on the one line, which is weird because we don't see that in most seasons. Obviously, of course, yes, Kansas is the team, and it lands as the one uh, coming out of that league. Uh, I do think Texas Tech is good enough to win the national championship. Um, I actually think 
you know, if you're listening to this podcast, you're just swooping in on March. Welcome. Hope you'll stick around all season long, but uh, we'll try and keep you informed, give you some bracket tips and all that good stuff. I think Texas Tech is probably, if you, you know, you do your bracket pool, right? Uh, I think Texas Tech is the best value pick because they are good enough to win the national championship and almost no one will have the guts to put them that far. So they've got the ability to do so. Culver's a top 10 pick. Um, they've got some good shooting with Moretti and Matt Mooney. He's been fantastic. Uh, very good things to say about the Red Raiders. I don't think that that's a team susceptible to a first weekend upset. It's not impossible. I just don't find them to be susceptible to that. As for Chris Beard's status as a top five coach, no way, no how. He is very good. He is immediately what? proving his- no, here's why, Parrish. He's been, he is right away, he has shown himself to be a very good coach here. He is thriving in Division One. For me, I need more long-term sustained excellence to vault you to top five status in the game. I'm not going to say that Chris Beard's a better coach than Tony Bennett. I'm not going to say he's better than Mike Krzyzewski. I'm not going to say that he's better than Roy Williams. I'm not going to say he's better than John Calipari. I won't say that he's better than John Beeline. I'm already at five, and there's still plenty of room to go. How about this? Who do you think is a better coach? And you know where I'm going with this. Do you think Rick Bird or Chris Beard is a better college basketball coach? <laughs> I know I know how you're going to vote. I, I'm gonna. I'll, yeah. Here's here's. How about this with Rick Bird? We talk about Kansas streak, and I got a little something on Belmont and Bird. Yes, in Wednesday's court report, this is Rick Bird's conference win total since 2003: 12, 15, 12, 15, 14, 12, 14, 14, 19, 16, 14, 14, 11, 12, 15, 15, 16. That's absurd. I understand. Atlantic Sun, Ohio Valley. But guess what? There's no other coach in any at any level, that level, that's winning that many league games year over year over year over year. He's gone to the tournament seven times. He'll probably be there again an eighth time this season. Everyone kind of acknowledges if you put Rick Bird at a Texas Tech or you put him at a Cal, you put him at a Georgia, he's getting to the tournament single-digit seed every single season. But because he's not in the big league, he doesn't quite get the run. So Beard's awesome. I would unequivocally put him as a top 20 coach in college basketball right now. But when you start filling out even a top 10, it gets crowded in a hurry. But answer my question, who's the better college basketball coach, Chris Beard or Rick Bird? This is like when Nick Saban yelled at Maria Taylor. <laughs> like you're trying to make me say something bad about one of the two. I'm just not going to do it. Just too scared to do it, my man. You're too scared to pick one. I didn't even mention Bill Self, by the way, when I mentioned the top five. Like, I'm sorry, Beard's awesome. He could be eventually be a top five. He just hasn't been there long enough. For me, I need to see you do it over the course of at least a decade. That's all. That's all. Yeah, oh, it's all reasonable. I'm not going to be disrespectful to Rick Bird. He's an amazing coach doing amazing things. I will say this. Uh, obviously, it becomes difficult to, to throw Chris Beard um, in his fourth year as a Division One head coach into the top five when – you know, we got that many active Hall of Fame coaches like still operating at the highest level of the sport, not to mention guys like John Beeline, Tony Bennett, so on and so forth. I, 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 and we don't actually have to like rank them. I just think it's interesting to, to, to pose it this way. If you had to take a bad Power 5 job and hire a coach to flourish at a bad Power 5 job, because like with all due respect to Texas Tech, that's not a good Big 12 job. It, 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 I don't, you, you tell me. In terms of Big 12 jobs, where does Texas Tech rank last? Um, pro- uh, probably. I don't. Uh, I don't, yeah, I see, I don't know. You know what? I don't, mm. 
I mean, if you want to put TCU below it, but that's yeah, the, and it, I mean, at one, at once upon a time it was Baylor, but you know, anyway, it's unequivocally bottom three. Like, un, inarguably, it's bottom three. Okay, if you had a bottom three power five job, and you had to hire somebody who was going to just run into recruiting roadblocks because they're just things you can't get done at a, at a school like that, but you but you knew they could win there consistently at a high level. Who would you hire? Tony Bennett. Uh, that well, that's the other answer. It's Tony Bennett because he did it at Washington State. Another like terrible Power Five job. Probably the worst one. Probably the worst Power Five job that there is. Depending on what you think of, I don't know, Penn State. Washington State's worse. Why? Okay, I, I'll concede that. Um, I, I do think Tony Bennett's the answer, but I think Chris Beard might be the next answer. Probably. Um. Yeah, and that's that's credit to him. Hey, yeah, I'm not I'm not trying to downgrade what Beard's done. He's been awesome, like fantastic, and uh, he's gonna get like if he wants to keep at this, he's making a Final Four. That's just that's gonna happen. There's no there's no stopping that, um, and, and it's it's a testament to him because also here's the other thing. Beard is not someone who. Uh, like seeks media attention or publicity like he's like a real grinder so the fact that he has kind of built up this reputation and this and this quickly over the years has been and I say over the years it's literally been four seasons has been uh has been a testament to how good of a coach he is and and how quickly he's ascended the ladder and how about this just in a you know what if a scenario if Georgia Tech is able to hire a few years ago literally any of the coaches that they tried to hire initially, then they never end up hiring Josh Pastner. And then if Memphis doesn't have an opening and then make a colossal mistake by hiring Tubby Smith, Chris Beard right now has probably got UNLV ranked in the top 25. Yeah, probably. Probably, yes. Because Georgia Tech did what it did, and then Memphis nonsensically did what it did. Texas Tech suddenly had an opening – and a coach who was from Texas who had just taken the UNLV job decided I'd rather be back in Texas than out here in Las Vegas because, oh, my God, I didn't realize what I was walking into here in Las Vegas. And now uh, UNLV's program is at a, it's, it's, let's just say, a not great place. And Texas Tech is uh, is obviously in a wonderful place, about to probably uh, raise a banner um, you know, in Lubbock, Texas. So um, it is wild to sort of think about how all of that unfolded with the benefit of hindsight, but we can talk about Chris Beard and all that another time. Let's move on. Duke barely got past Wake Forest on Tuesday night. We're going to talk about that next, but first, here's this. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. 
Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. So Duke barely got past Wake Forest Tuesday night. They win 71-70, just a weird game. Um, they, R.J. Barrett was overwhelming like he has consistently been, but Cam Reddish didn't shoot the ball well. Uh, people were tweeting about him, like, is this really a top-five pick? And then Duke was down double digits, trailing most of the game, and they needed a ball to roll off the rim you know, and in the final seconds or else they would have taken a home loss uh, inside Cameron Indoor to a Wake Forest team that was more than a 20-point favorite at tip-off. I don't know how much you saw of that. How much did you see of that? I saw most of the game. I mean, I well, I saw all the second half. I saw a little bit of the first half, got the kids down, watched the second half, kind of couldn't believe what I was watching. Um, now, I don't know if Shondi Brown got the ball off in time. Right. But even still, like, whatever. What Duke, what are you doing? <laughs> You're in a one-point game at home against Wake Forest? Just probably firing Danny Manning in a matter of days. Like, what? What is going on here? All right, here's my questions for you, Parrish. Actually, you know what? I'll do, I'll do one at a time here. Give me your responses instead of just throwing like three or four right on you. First of all, uh, did Duke mishandle how it uh, announced Zion stuff at the outset? Because it was announced day to day. And even if we thought, you know, we came to learn in the 24 to 48 hours after he was hurt that grade one knee sprains tend to keep guys out, you know, two to three weeks. Was it right for Duke to have said he was going to be day-to-day at the start, or should they have done something differently in retrospect? Well, you know, I guess technically day-to-day is like, hey, we're still talking a matter of days here. It's not months, but day-to-day implies uh, could be back any day now. And obviously that's that's not been the case. Um, he did not play on Tuesday night, and Mike Krzyzewski said after Tuesday's game that he's unlikely to play this weekend at North Carolina. The injury, of course, happens on February 20th. That was, um, at this point... Two weeks ago to the day. Two weeks ago to the day. And so, um, I guess my, my, my simple answer would be, I don't know, whatever. But clearly, day-to-day implies something that... You know, day-to-day does not imply it'll be two weeks. Correct. Yeah, so but, I just, you know... I, I don't know if there's just anything that happened in the in the couple of days after where they thought, you know what, like maybe this is just a little more serious or, you know, he's he's not going to recover as quickly as they thought. But um, when that happened, you know, the hysteria came and then it was like, OK, it's day to day. OK, it's not that bad. Day to day. Listen, we're all day to day. Right. But uh, but day to day to me indicates you're missing like three games tops. And it just that just hasn't been the case. And now for Krzyzewski to say in his postgame presser after the win on Tuesday night that he'd be surprised if he played UNC, um, he didn't rule it out. But we're, you know, he did say, I, I would be surprised if he wasn't available in the ACC tournament. Uh, so, we'll, so we'll wait and see. So my other question is this. So was Williamson was the undisputed front runner for National Player of the Year, Freshman of the Year. Given the amount of games he's missed, and I don't know if like last night helped his case or hurt his case, like if he plays in that game, Duke's winning by at least twenty. I firmly believe that. I do. Um, is there a real debate now for National Player of the Year for you, whether it's R.J. Barrett, Grant Williams, or anyone else, or do you, even like Williamson not playing, 
against UNC, um, is, is it still firmly in your mind him? I think so. I mean, he's missed four total games. If you want to count the call North Carolina five. game, call that's five. five. Yeah, call it five. Yeah, because he was gone in the first minute. If he misses this one, that's going to be six. And that'll be six of – um Thirty? Of 31. Okay. So that's not insignificant, but I still think national players over the year should represent who was the most awesome player on a good enough team. And undeniably, he was the most awesome player on a, on a, on a good enough team. Uh, I do think he needs to come back and be strong in the ACC tournament. But I'll tell you this, if he, if he, even if he misses this weekend, comes back in the ACC tournament and Duke wins it or even like goes to the championship game and loses a close one, but he is doing nothing more than what he was doing the rest, you know, previously in the season. I think on selection Sunday, heading into the NCAA tournament, we'll, we'll be back at a place where we say, oh yeah, um, we, we maybe forgot about him for a couple of weeks because he was, uh, you know, not playing, but we just watched him play three or four straight games, whatever it'll be. And, uh, yep, that's the national player of the year. But he does need to come back and play. And, you know, I was in the studio last night with Wally Zerbiak and, and, and Richard Jefferson. And they both, you know, first say a couple of different things. One, he's got to change shoes every game. Like, the idea that he was reportedly wearing the same shoes for, like, several weeks is just asinine to any NBA player that I've worked with. You know, Richard said he would change shoes every other game. Wally said he would change shoes about once a week. But when you're 280 pounds and, and moving and stopping and cutting the way he cuts, those, those shoes just cannot handle that. And so, um, and I don't think this is unique to them or breaking news, but they don't think Nike had a shoe problem as much as Zion had a, you got to change shoes. Like they say every game, you know, you change shoes every game, take them off after you play, sign them you know, keep them and for, you know, you can sell them later or you can give them to charity later, but you don't need to, if you play in a pair of shoes against Wake Forest, those shoes are done. You play in a game, pair of shoes against Syracuse, those shoes are done. So that's one thing they said. And the other thing they said, and I, I, th I always think it's interesting talking to these guys because they are not just former college stars, but former college stars who went on to make, you know, a hundred million dollars playing basketball. And so they understand the risk of being an amateur because, you know, they went on, they, they, their lives are set up forever based on what they were able to do at the professional level. And Richard Jefferson last night was just like, I, I don't, you know, if you, you know, I, I don't know how you missed the North Carolina game this weekend. Mm -hmm. Like you only get one shot at this, his favorite memories. I mean, he, he won a world championship in the NBA with LeBron and the Cavs. But he's like, he looks back on his, he can still tell you about college games and run to the national championship game. And he's like, I just don't know. Like you're only, like Zion Williamson's entering the NBA draft. And that means he, he's, if he doesn't play this weekend in Chapel Hill, he will be a Duke player who never played a game in Chapel Hill. Like, or he could be a Duke player who goes to Chapel Hill and, you know, after leaving the initial meeting in the first minute because of a busted shoe, bad, you know, whatever. Now he's like back on national television, dunking, creating memories that he'll have forever and cherish forever. And that's not worth nothing. And, and Richard would, would um, uh, willingly point out, I, I don't know what's going on with him, but if, 
if it were an NBA playoff game tonight and a player had the same deal that that Zion had, Richard was like, I think that guy would be playing. And the idea that he might just sit out Chapel Hill is fine because he understands the risk, but Richard just said, if, you know, when you look back on your college career, you'll you might look at that as a missed opportunity. If 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 you could go but then just don't go, um you might look back on that as a missed opportunity. And so uh, I'll I'll say what I've always said. Zion should do whatever he and his family think are best for for him. Um I I I object to nothing because he is worth hundreds of millions of dollars possibly and and that has to be taken into consideration, but um selfishly and maybe not just for me, but but perhaps for him too. I hope if there's a way for him to play this weekend, he does play because a it would just be incredible television, mm-hmm. particularly particularly with Duke initially. Coach K saying they don't expect him to play. I mean, just imagine we're, we're we're Saturday afternoon leading into Saturday night, and then it comes from Duke. Zion Williamson will be in uniform tonight. I mean, who's not tuned, who's not turning to that channel right. when it's time for tip off? And when he's on that court to start that game, I mean, what's that building look like? I mean, it can't get better for college basketball. And then who knows what happens in the game. But I do think you know, missing the only chance you'll ever have as a Duke player to play at North Carolina in this rivalry, um, that you are missing something. And if he really can't go, then he can't go. But if he can, I hope he does. I hope he does, too. I don't put it out of the total realm of possibility. It would make for an awesome Saturday if, you know, we just – if word leaked out that this this could – you know, not even – he might not start, but maybe he gets on the floor, changes a lot of things there. And, uh, yeah, I mean, part of the reason why you go to Duke, obviously, is you want to play and beat Carolina. We'll see if that right. can happen. Again, it, it, the other thing is here, like Duke does not want to put on the floor. Like just the nightmare is that you put him on the floor, he gets he gets hurt again, or you know whatever. Like that's that you just you got to avoid that. So they want to they want to be certain. Real quick before we wrap up on uh, on one more topic, I will circle back to the thing, the question that I posed at the top of this whole Duke Zion thing. So I still would have Zion Williamson as the Player of the Year if we were forced to vote right now when we finish this podcast. But I also think that he is landed in a fortunate spot this season because. R.J. Barrett's got a case. He does. He has averaged 26.2 points since Zion left. He led Duke in scoring before Zion got hurt. He has already set the ACC record that was previously set last season by Marvin Bagley for the most 20-point games in a season. He's been a scoring machine, and he has frequently showed that without Zion Williamson, R.J. Barrett uh, you know, would have probably been the national player of the year if Williamson just wasn't in college. So I think that's to be taken into account. Now, Barrett and Williamson, maybe they're just uh, they're kind of tugging at each other with the voters here and, you know, one might be stealing votes from the other or whatever. But if you look around at the other teams that would that would traditionally have player of the year candidates, Gonzaga, Brandon Clark is their best player, but you know what? He's going to split consideration with Rui Hachimura, unfortunately. Uh, There's not going to be enough there to give that award to either of those players because they've both been awesome, but neither of them have been awesome enough. Texas Tech is the best team in the Big 12. Jarrett Culver has been great. I just don't think that he's been great enough, and he's not going to have the oomph to get there. If you go by Ken Pomeroy's Player of the Year algorithm, it is comfortably 
Ethan Happ. But a 20-9 Wisconsin team, call them 21-9 if they get their next win, uh, it's just not going to do it. And I, fair or not, the fact that he cannot shoot from the foul line, he cannot shoot from beyond seven feet, uh, I also think will hurt him just in terms of player of the year. I do think he'll be a first-team All-American, but I don't think that he's going to have enough there. Grant Williams still has a shot. Now, I will also note that he happens to have a teammate in Admiral Schofield who should get real votes for third-team All-America status, and I don't know if that's going to impact him as well or not. Cassius Winston, Michigan State, you know, they're near the top. He's Between Michigan and Michigan State, Cassius Winston has the best case, but I don't know if he has been quite good enough to really even truly validate putting him in the conversation. Kentucky doesn't have a guy that's been good enough. LSU doesn't have a guy that's been good enough. So I still think that it's Zion Williamson. And Virginia is the other team, by the way. They Again, like DeAndre Hunter's been awesome, but on nights, sometimes it's Kyle Guy who went 8 of 10 in romping Syracuse. And Virginia, by the way, putting on statistically the greatest three-point performance in at least 20 years, considering they made 72% of their shots on 25 attempts. Only two other times has that happened, and both teams that did it, um, Kennesaw State and Mount St. Mary's did it against low major competition. So Virginia has guys that are good. Hunter's maybe going to be a first-team All-American, but he's also got a, a guy named Kyle Guy who's been well and Ty Jerome. So that's a long way of saying I still would pick Zion Williamson, but if Williamson doesn't play against UNC, Duke wins on the road, and Barrett drops 33 or 34, I think we need to readdress this because I think Barrett's going to have a real case. I'll make this simple. There are only three people right now and maybe this changes over the next few weeks. Uh, um, as you know, we do not announce our National Player of the Year at CBS Sports until after the Elite Eight because right. we want to have as much data um, as as possible. You know, if you start announcing things before Selection Sunday or or right, you know, before the NCAA tournament starts, that's how you end up not having Kimba Walker as your National Player of the Year when he just marches UConn straight to a national championship. So we won't do anything for a while. But if we had to turn in a ballot today, I don't see how any ballot could could not have one of three players. Zion Williamson, R.J. Barrett, Grant Williams. I don't think anybody else could reasonably win the award at this moment. I also, uh, one name I forgot, and if listeners are screaming at me, I apologize. Um, John Morant's been awesome. He will not win it. Murray State's no sure thing to make the tournament. Uh, I do think he gets real consideration for first-team All-America status. He can be the first player ever to average 20 and 10. He's been awesome um, and has vaulted himself to top five pick status. But realistically, John Morant is not He's not going to be able to overcome that. Uh, he he will be a much-watched dude in the, in the tournament. Like You can put him right along Zion and anyone else. Like The guy you want to see if Murray State's in the tournament, as much as anyone not named Zion, is John Morant. But he is not uh, He is not going to overtake RJ or Zion. Um. Last thing before we get out of here, and, and we'll, we'll we'll handle this real quickly, I hope. Um, sentencing was Tuesday in lower Manhattan. Jim Gatto, former Adidas um, uh, employee, Merle Code, former Adidas consultant, and Christian Dawkins, a, a wannabe agent, were all sentenced um, you know, for their role in the college basketball scandal that was investigated by the FBI. Jim Gatto got nine months. Merle Code and Christian Dawkins got six months each. Those sentences were well below um, the sentencing guidelines. And um, the judge basically just said he was showing leniency because he feels like they've learned their lessons. It was it seemed to be um, an admission from the judge that, you know, these guys were wrong to do what they did and they broke federal law and. They deserve to be punished, but 
nobody gains anything from Jim Gatto doing four years in prison. Um, you know, and, and I, I don't, like I, I said on radio yesterday, I, I know I, I'd met Jim Gatto. You know, I'd, I I guess I'd met Christian Dawkins at some point. I don't know if I knew moral code, but none of these guys are somebody I'm friendly with. I, so like what happens with their life? I don't mean to be insensitive, but like it, it doesn't impact my life in any way. So I'm not glad they got leniency because, um, you know, I like them or know them or, you know, didn't want to see whatever. I'm just glad they got leniency because it makes no sense to me. And we've talked about this before for these guys to be doing federal prison time. You know, they, they broke NCAA rules. I still to this day don't actually believe they defrauded universities in a way that that um, put them in a position to, to break federal law. So it, it's crazy to me that they're going to do nine months, six months, and six months. But given the alternative of what was possible, uh, I think they should be thankful. And uh, I think the judge showed some common sense here. Yes, and I was not in the courtroom for this, but – Going off the the reports from the from the scene there, um, it it does seem like I don't and you know the the, the tenor of of the honorary Louis A. Coplin, the judge who presided over the case, uh, the trial, and then obviously hands out sentencing. Um, he had a pragmatic sense of what was actually happening here, and also invoked Rick Pitino to a evoked the same period, and then had said that what was going on here. Um, was also means for Patino to have plausible deniability. <laughs> We'd be interested to see the kind of conversations P- Patino had with whomever he spoke with uh, after that came out. I think he's still in Greece at the moment, but obviously no doubt that word got to him pretty quickly, and Patino has been vocal about the fact that he was uh, the FBI's you know, poster coach for trying to uh, you know turn what had happened here into a, a referendum on, on crooked big-time college basketball coaches. I digress. Um now, the the jail time is lenient. It's still prison time. And apparently, you know, minimum security and the closest prisons to where each of these men live. Um, and they're going to appeal. So, and I'm going off of what Dan Wetzel wrote in his column at Yahoo here. Uh, the appeals could take years. So these men are still free as and until uh, until that that legal uh, process exhausts itself, they will not have to spend time. Uh, but regardless, at the end of the day, you you still have men uh, that are going to be behind bars and ha- will have done so for having uh, played a party to um, breaking federal law. And we're not going to we're not going to uh, retry all of our arguments there. But uh, being a part of activity that was clearly, you know, against the rules in college athletics. And I, I don't see how that doesn't have at least some uh, some effects. Now, my last thing here is that as we spin this forward. Uh, Christian Dawkins' lawyer uh, has been vocal and adamant, but he was in the first case. I will also remind listeners that they want to expose college basketball coaches in a way where, like, because obviously, like, the defense is pissed. They're angry about what's happened here, as they should be, um, because a lot of it just, I'm like you, I, I just, it does not sit well with me when I understand the realities of what's happening in college basketball and, and the, the guilty verdicts that came down here, um, and I believe it was I believe it was Mark Moore, Merle Code's lawyer, that said on Tuesday, "If these schools are victims, tell me why." And I'm paraphrasing, but tell me why Louisville has not gotten out of its Adidas contract, or any of these schools have gotten out of their shoe contracts. It's a very salient point, and one that should be ringing louder, I think, in the after effects of this. But um, 
Steve Haney wants to get, you know, Will Wade and Sean Miller and other coaches on the stand to testify if for no other reason to, in the second trial, which is scheduled to start in late April, uh, to bring more light onto what was actually happening uh, on the coach's side of these things and why the clients that were found guilty in this case uh, perhaps aren't nearly as guilty as others that may have been involved. We wait to see if that actually happens. If it does, frankly, it's going to dominate this podcast in April and into May. But I know that they wanted to get coaches involved in this first one. Uh, the scope of this trial is different from the one that's scheduled to happen in April, and it did not happen. We'll wait and see on that. So if you want to make sure you don't miss those episodes in April and May, uh, go subscribe to the Island College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcasts. You guys have been awesome about that um, over the past week or so. I think largely to uh, Norlander opening the last episode the way he opened the last episode. And so I uh, appreciate you guys doing that. Uh, subscriptions are way up. Uh, the ratings and reviews are, are way up. So if you've done that, thank you, thank you, thank you. If you haven't subscribed yet, please go do it. It's uh, A, the best way to get the latest episodes in your hands as quickly as possible. And B, um, it's a favor we ask because it helps us as well. So five stars, nice comments. Um, that would be appreciated. And either way, uh, we're going to talk to you again uh, before the weekend. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M. Fatigo. Shouts to Larnell. We'll be back soon. 